Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Will Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have a jam-packed show for you today on the old BSH Radio. The Flyers are, uh, well, I was watching the, the Minnesota LA game last night on ESPN, and, you know, they say on the broadcast, it's not just a good start now. They're legitimately playing well, and... I guess that's what today's show's going to be about. So let's see what people think about that. Let's lead it off with the fly by yourself, Kelly Hankel. So before we started recording, I called Bill Matz, who I've known now for like a decade, I think, <laughs> whom I am very familiar with. I said, hey, Will, like, I, I, and I have no explanation for it. I'm going to blame jet lag. But uh, yeah, Will Matz, that's a new guy. Welcome to the yeah. show. He's the Sorry. he's the positive Flyers fan that's just on the playoff bandwagon now. <laughs> Fuck it. Ah, gotcha. Cesaro Bill Every, everything, everything else is upside down. Might as well be that as well. <laughs> how was uh how was how was Paris, Henkel? It was French as hell. It was lovely. <laughs> it was nice to be away. Um little concerned about how this show is going to go because I have been one hundred percent checked out of just about every sports thing for the last ten days. So um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I'm pretty That's good at it, That's never been a prerequisite for this show. That's true. We we hardly ever actually watch the games, particularly Charlie. Charlie never really watches the games. Yeah, I just look at spreadsheets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is, from TheAthletic.com, Charles Entertainment O'Connor. I, I will have you know my middle name starts with an H, not an E. But thank you. Damn it! I really thought you were going to say it actually starts with an E. I the, wish the fu- it was Charles Entertainment O'Connor. Though. The funny thing is, is that my dad's middle name starts with an E, and I so very he's Charlie Entertainment O'Connor. He is. Yeah. Well, I very easily could have been Charles E. O'Connor the third, but instead I have a different middle name, so I'm not. Thank God. Uh, but anyway, um, CEO. That's not bad though. It's a pretty solid acronym. I'm not going to lie. So, Bill, I wanted to give you an update here because you, at the beginning of the season, requested – no, no, I, actually, you didn't request. You demanded that the Flyers okay. have 82 fights in 82 games. 
after last night's game, the Flyers had two eight, last night. Yeah, eight fights in twelve games. So they're a bit behind, but that's still a lot, and they're within striking distance of what you wanted. They can make they that just, up. Well, you know what? I'm going to the game on Saturday against the Senators, Ooh. and nothing would make me happier than to do it again. Come on, like 12 <laughs> fights? Oh, my God. Just someone beat the shit out of Giroux? That I was going to say, who's going to beat up Claude Giroux? <laughs> All of them. But what if it's like Scott Lawton? Like, Scott Lawton just says, fuck you, I'm the captain now, and just beats the shit out of him. Yeah, uh, It's a battle for the, the sea. He yeah. does yeah. the meme. In, in person, live. I would, and then he fights him. No one can see this. This is an audio format. But I did the eyes thing. Yeah, if he ever pointed at someone like that, I think he'd have to do time in prison. Like whether an assault took place or not, like that look is yeah, that's a threat. All right, so I uh, I won't say. I've been out on the Flyers up until the World Series ended. Like, given my Twitter follows, what my timeline looks like, and my reading routine, uh, it's hard to just not pay attention. But I've been more in on the World Series and the undefeated Eagles the last few weeks. Um, So I'm trying to get a good read. And I asked this during uh, my post-game last night. Like... What's the mood regarding this team right now? Are people still pissed they're not shaping up to be a bottom three or bottom five team? Are people starting to come around on potentially grinding to a playoff spot? What has been your response and what's been your experience in seeing other people's responses now that the Flyers are off to, what, a 7-3-2 and two start? Just as we all predicted. Well, I do think, Bill... Or should I? Or are you just will for this entire show? Should we just keep this bit up? No. Yeah, no. we can do whatever. <laughs> All right. So, Will, to answer your question, I think that the vast majority of Flyers fans were kind of where you are, which is they were not really paying close attention to the Flyers. They were paying attention to the Phillies, um, and obviously the Eagles. But I mean, people are used to paying attention to the Eagles at the same time as the Flyers. Yeah. The Eagles are number one in this town, regardless. But I got the sense over the last couple of weeks that you know. We, even when I was watching and live tweeting Flyers games, that I was just in a way kind of shouting into the void. So I don't <laughs> think there was a lot of focus on this team. That said, I do think that now that the Phillies are done, I got the sense that more people cared last night. And yeah. I get the sense that, you know, some people are maybe starting to come around a little bit on this team. Look. The hard truth is that the main reason why this team is where they are is because Carter Hart is playing unreal. That's a fact. Yeah. But as we'll get into, I think, later in the show, I do think the last two games were the first time I watched this team this year and thought to myself, hey, maybe they're not awful. Because, yeah, they were winning games. But look, if your goalie's stopping 94-plus percent of the shots on a nightly basis, you're going to win. That's hockey. That's sort of the way it works. The last two games against Ottawa and then last night against St. Louis, they looked like a team that might not be bad. And I think people who are actually watching the games that know hockey are are realizing that, hey, like they don't have the puck 30% of the time anymore. They're actually looking competitive. And yeah, people might start. I got that sense on social media last night that people might start starting to be coming around a little bit that, hey, this team might not be awful. And look, like, Everybody wants a top-tier prospect. Everybody knows this team needs high-end talent. But 
guess what? It's fun to watch hockey teams yes. win hockey games. And yeah. the Flyers are winning <clears throat> hockey games, and it's not going to take a ton for most people to get on board with the idea of not wanting to gouge your eyes out after watching this team play. Hinkle, you've been away for some time, but you were, you know, uh, you understand as well as anyone, they need <clears throat> more good players. But yeah. you, the eternal optimist, yeah. how are you processing what has gone down this season thus far? So I, like I think most people, have been surprised by it. Um, I didn't get to watch last night's game because I fell asleep at 6.30 p.m. Um, but... Based on the, I watched some highlights this morning, um, and they looked, I don't know, like a complete hockey team. And it, it obviously wasn't a game won by Carter Hart because he wasn't playing. And it's just like, I, I understand that long term, them being bad this season is probably good. Because even if they fuck up their drafting this year, the draft's so deep that they really can't fuck it up that bad. So they'll definitely get a good player. But... I mean, as a fan of the team, it's hard for me not to be pretty pumped that they look like they might actually be a little bit good. Yeah, it's... Man, we've watched basically the same group of guys for a decade fail. And for the last two years, it was ungodly brutal hockey for the, for the vast majority. And what we're seeing right now is kind of a different group of guys. Like, yeah, Hayes has been around a bit. Uh, Konechny's been around a while. Provorov, Sanheim, but I mean, it's it, it's a much different group of players than we're used to seeing. And with John Tortorella, it's, it, it's kind of working right now. I don't yeah. hate it, even though I was hoping for, yeah, uh, a chance to be in the top three of this draft. Absolutely. Uh, there's nothing... I can do, you know, I, right. I can't make them lose. There's right. no, you know, so why not I, I enjoy fix, it, right? I can't fix the lottery, so I might as well just kind of say, let's see where the fuck this goes. I don't want to compare it to the Phillies because the Phillies were actually supposed to be kind of good. Not go to the World Series, but be kind of good. But we just saw a team go on a run that was wildly unexpected, and it was really fucking fun. So. Maybe something's possible here. If Carter Hart is their best player, and he's awesome, like like Charlie said, 930, 940 save percentage on Insane. some given nights, uh, that's a team that could do something in the playoffs. It's not a team, okay, we're just going to get in and lose in six in the first round. Yeah, I, I, we've seen that, and it's not all that interesting. If you have an awesome goalie, you can do some things. Maybe it's one of those. I don't know. To be, to be clear, miss, yeah. to be clear, I do not think the Flyers are making the playoffs. I do not think oh, they're a playoff team. Yeah, like, I, I want. Yeah. I want to make that abundantly clear that I am not on board oh, with that. It's fine. more that I just they might not be awful, and that's an and, improvement over where I thought they were not only before the season but also two to three weeks into the season when the only reason why they were winning was two words: Carter Hart. Yeah, and it makes sense that, like, what was the Sens game? Game 11. The Blues game was game 12. It took about 10 games. Like, they didn't touch, you know, we saw the we saw training camp, at least the parts that were tweeted out to us. Uh, they didn't touch the pucks, you know? It was, they did. But it, it was about conditioning, and it was about finding out who was, who was in it 
uh, you know, for an actual battle in camp. And now, with some practice time, they've had days off between games, not the, like, heaviest schedule to start the season. They're more than 10 games into it. And we're starting to see maybe a team that isn't the worst in the league. <laughs> like, I thought they would be, and they were kind of just being buoyed uh, by an awesome goalie. I'm just saying... They might just be better than we expected. Uh, they might just, if the goalie is awesome, be a playoff team. Do they have the talent of a playoff team? God, no. Uh, unless some of these guys that are turning out that look like decent enough players, Owen Tippett looks good, Noah Cates looks good, Wade Allison's holding his own. Okay, if these guys actually are what we were hoping they'd be, they have more talent than we thought. But still, it's one of the least talented rosters in the East. I can't imagine they're a playoff team. But... Fuck, man, if Carter Hart's that good. And shout out Felix Sandstrom. He got some posts. Yeah. Uh, the Blues are on a, what, eight-game losing streak, all in regulation, all by two-plus goals. But he got his win, and that's nice. I'm happy for him. That yeah, was... I heard you guys talking about that uh, Mike McKenna article on the show that I missed the other day. And I, I'm glad that you did because I found it very interesting. It was something that I hadn't really thought about, that the Flyers were essentially – just like dooming him to losses because every single one of his starts was on a, the back half of a back-to-back. So it's nice that he got a win and hopefully it helps like buoy his confidence a little bit. Yeah. And I think the thing about last night's game against the Blues, and this was the subject of the article I did on the game that got published this morning on theathletic.com. Please subscribe. Uh, anyway, was <laughs> the fact that watching that game, and this is, I think, part of the reason why I came out of it thinking like, no, the Flyers aren't a bad team, at least not a bad team right now. They could easily fall apart because, again, like as I note in the column, they have Zach McEwen and Lucas Sedlak on their third lines. Like this is not a talent. Wait, you're saying that's team. you're saying that's bad? Yeah, like Kevin Hayes is their first line center for wh- however long Jean Gattari <laughs> is out, and hell, the guy may not play this year. He's at least out three to four months. Very easily could miss the whole season. Kevin Hayes is not a first line center. Kevin Hayes might not even be a second line center. So. They're not yeah, that that's good. That's point of game, Kevin Hayes, to you. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, have some sorry. respect. My bad. But I watched that game, and there was there was a bad team on the ice at the Wells Fargo <clears throat> Center, and it was the St. Louis Blues, who yeah. very much reminded me of the Philadelphia Flyers of the last two years. Like, they were doing the They're shit. They're going through it. That, right? That the, that the Flyers of the last two years, like, the fact that they gave up one goal in the second period immediately turned into three goals. The fact they gave up a goal on a failed exit with three seconds left in the period, like, that is the Flyers special right there. The fact that yeah. they gave up at the end of the game and Owen Tippett scores a goal with 39 seconds left to make the score look embarrassing. Like, how many friggin' times did the Flyers seem like they did that the past couple of years? Where they're just the like, Blues ah, got on the board. Our night. The Blues got on the board. Flyers answer back in a minute 22. Yeah, that I didn't even put that in the column, but absolutely. Perfect. That was like, it's like, oh, we might be coming back. No, Can, never mind. We're going to uh, blow this up. Yes, again. I, I know no one gives a shit about the Blues. I just like, why are they so bad? It's interesting. They, they have, have talent, a, like, they have yeah, good like, players. And again, this is why they is, remind me of the Flyers of the past couple yeah. years. You're like, this team should be better, but man, they're just a mess. And you're like, okay, the Blues are a mess. This is what a team that really is a mess looks like. The Flyers yeah. are not that. And just watching the contrast in real time, I think that was the like, oh, oh, that's what's going on here. Like the Blues defense isn't 
chock full of good players, but just one for one on the roster, it's like, oh, they're considerably better than the Flyers, and no, no, they are not. They looked absolutely freaking dreadful. I, it's, if Craig Berube didn't just sign a contract extension, he is an exact candidate to to get like that's a team that needs a coaching change like it's very you don't lose eight in a row and it's like oh yeah well business as usual i guess that's well all this in is, regulation all by two plus goals yeah this is interesting because when i talked to uh laura from the blues blog for the pregame she there was a lot of talking about how they're a bit of a disaster to start a lot of talk about how certain players particularly uh kairu have been off to like dreadful starts and he just signed a giant contract extension that I don't even think has kicked in yet. So that's pretty bad for them. But I specifically asked her like Craig Berube has been your coach for a long time and coaches don't really hang around NHL teams for a long time. Like, do you get any sense that Craig Berube, you know, might be wavering on the edge given how bad everything is? She was like, no, no way. Like he's definitely not going to get fired, which is, Interesting, because if they continue being this much of a disaster, like, what else do you do? Yeah, that's... Yeah. Like, I... I, I 109 points last year, obviously won that cup in his first season as the interim. You don't right. fire him, it's just... Man, they're a fucking mess. They did, like, they looked like last year's Flyers. I couldn't believe how bad they looked in that game. When I'm texting Charlie during the game, <laughs> I'm just like... You know, Felix Sandstrom's in. I'm not all that hopeful about the result. But especially early in the first, Flyers are peppering them. They're, like, dominating in shots. So I'm just like, Charlie, just to let you know, if if the Flyers win the shot battle but lose the game, I'm I'm asking you first thing on the show, are analytics dead? <laughs> and, and I'm just like thinking, okay, that's what's gonna happen. But to just to get outshot by the Flyers, fuck losing five one. Yeah. To get outshot by the Flyers takes a shitty team, uh, and and that's exactly what the Blues are right now. It's very surprising. Uh, but enough about the St. Louis Blues. The question that I asked on my post game to really get things rolling last night was, how should we be evaluating this team? Like, what should our curve be? What should our expectations be now that 12 games into the season, they are currently ho- holding the first wild card spot? Yeah. They are a point behind the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a real thing. Like, they're up on Tampa and Florida. How should we be evaluating this team right now? So what, Thanksgiving's in like two weeks, right? Yeah. So if they're in the playoffs by Thanksgiving, then that means that you make the playoffs. Like that's science. So Kelly's back. You know, just get ready for that. Yeah. He's back. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that you have to you have to let go of the expectations that you have before the season started. And you have to just start evaluating them for what they're actually doing. Because like Bill said at the start of the show, it's not just a hot start anymore. Like we're well into the season now. And they're continuing to play at, you know, not a great level, but a level much higher than everyone, including everyone on the show, thought that they would. And so I think you have to start expecting that they're going to be 
a dreaded playoff bubble team if they keep this up. Like that's that's what it looks like where it's heading and that's both good and bad. Like I I don't really know what to do with it just yet. So I guess my view here is that I do agree Kelly that we shouldn't be beholden to our preseason expectations for this team. That at this point, you know, we're a month into the year. At the end of November, will be two months into the year, and you kind of throw them out the window and you evaluate evaluate what you have. That said, you know, last two games, notwithstanding, and and they were better these last two games. They certainly look more like they're playing more of a team game. They're they're making more plays, which is good. But like, it's not like they're playing well. I mean, they're still at the bottom of all the five on five metrics they're they're only collecting about 40 percent of the shot shot attempts of five on five only collecting about 40 percent of the the expected goals even the last two games they were more around like 45 which like better still pretty still pretty awful so to me like yeah you have to evaluate who they are but who they are is still not very good and yeah every year one or two teams kind of get lucky because they have a crazy good goalie and they ride you know high shooting percentages or whatever. And could that be the Flyers? Sure. But like, I don't think you have to take a step back and be like, well, they're a, they're a playoff bubble team. Definitely. Like they, this, this could all come apart very easily. If Carter Hart merely like I, I did a look at for a couple for an article I did a couple of days ago about just how good Carter Hart has been. And this is just how good mm-hmm. Carter Hart has been. On average, the be- like the best goalies of the last fifteen or so years over a full season. If you look at the what's the, what's called the goals saved above expectation metric, it's on evolving evolving hockey. Basically, it's like how many goals do you stop above what a like replacement level goalie would stop. The best goalies of the last fifteen years. So we're talking like Henrik Lundqvist in his best season, Igor Shesterkin last year, like guys that had amazing years. They, on average, stopped about an extra .75 goals per game. Like, three-quarters of a goal. Obviously, you can't stop three-quarters of a goal. But if, if you think about it, that means that, what, every every four games, they stop an extra— er, Yeah, every four games, they stop an extra three goals. So, that's significant. And that's this is what we're talking about, like, the best goalies of this analytics era. <clears throat> Carter Hart, so far— has averaged that he's stopping two extra shots a night. That is bonkers. And that is, like, if he can do that all year, and to be clear, him doing that is pretty much the only reason why they have a playoff bubble record. If he can do that all year, he's having the best goaltending season of this millennium. I do not think that is likely. (laughs) Even if Carter Hart finishes this year and establishes himself has this, like, yes, he is the franchise goalie. He is real good. He had a 930 save percentage. This is awesome. Even if he does that, regression is coming for him because no goalie can keep playing this well over an 82 game slate. And I, I always get people on Twitter say, well, you don't know that. It's like, no, I'm pretty freaking sure he's not like <laughs> twice as good as Igor Shesterkin was last season. I don't think he's treated, even in a one season sample. I don't think he's that good. So like this team is going to regress. The only way they're going to avoid regression is if they dramatically improve their underlying quality of play, which I guess is possible, but that's when you come into the fact that they just don't have a lot of talent. So how much can they actually improve their underlying quality of play? Like, yeah, they don't have to necessarily be a 40% expected goals team, but like what's their ceiling? 
like a 47% expected goal scene, that's still not that great. So, yes, I would say evaluate the team as they are, but even if you're evaluating the team as they are, as they are still ain't very good. I mean, fair, but what I'm saying is, like, if they continue doing this, whatever this is, if it's Carter Hart playing, you know, Hall of Fame level goaltending, which is, you know, not going to continue because that doesn't make any sense. If it's the rest of the team playing above their station, if it's John Tortorella just getting them to do shit well that they couldn't do before, if it's them taking advantage of teams playing like shit like the St. Louis Blues are, like, all of those things are, I think, just as valid as their underlying numbers being dog shit. And so, like, is it fair to expect them to fall off a cliff at some point? Sure. But until they do it, like, I don't, I don't see any reason to just, like, keep saying they suck when they're winning games. I just don't, I don't want to. to. (laughs) I just kind of, I just kind of expect Carter Hart to keep it up because dumb shit like this happens all the time. Like, he could just be awesome or he he could just be having an awesome year. Like right. we've seen, uh, uh, the the comparisons to Carey Price get made, you know, since he was drafted, and Carey Price in any given year wasn't the best goalie, but he had years in him where he was an MVP candidate, and maybe maybe Carter Hart, when he has his A plus year, is that good? Now it's not gonna it's not gonna be Lundqvist where he's the you know Vezina runner up seven years in a row or whatever, right. but maybe on those years, he can just be that good. Like, teams ride PDO waves, and as the, like, Charlie, you know, said, maybe the expected goals go from 40, 45, to 47. Well, if it evens out, so it's, you know, they're close to breaking even somewhat, they're a little, they're losing by 3% uh, in some sort of possession metric, but the goaltender is just that good? For this year, it's doable as these young players come around and as they learn to, like, continue just to keep everything to the outside and not give up as many goddamn A-plus chances and backdoor tap-ins and all the shit that they gave up in the defensive zone before. It it is doable. I guess what my point is with regards to the quality of the Flyers, and this is just something that I want to make, like, abundantly clear, is that, like, if they don't get better from an underlying standpoint, Carter Hart could have a very good year. Like, not not a Hall of Fame, oh my god, this is one of the best goaltending seasons of all time years. Because, yeah, if he does that, the Flyers will be fine. Because, yeah, if he's stopping 94% of the shots through 60 games or however many he starts, yeah, Flyers are making the playoffs. Because that never happens. And if a goalie does that, it doesn't really matter how bad they are otherwise. But if Carter Hart just regresses to having a damn good year... The Flyers yeah. are not going to make the playoffs. Like, look at, look at uh, uh, what's his name? Sorokin, last year with the Islanders. He had a really good year. The Islanders still missed the playoffs because they weren't that good. Like, that could be the Flyers if they don't get significantly better. Now, you're right. There is a point where they've already banked these wins. So, yeah, they, they may have played like shit in a lot of them, but they banked them. Now, if they're, you know, a 48% expected goals team the rest of the way, and they're getting 93% save percentage goaltending from Carter Hart the rest of the way, yeah, that team can probably go 500. And considering the fact they've already banked these wins, yeah, then they could be a playoff bubble team. And that's possible. But, like, 
I guess my thing is it doesn't necessarily change my view of how good this team is. It may change my view of what their record is, but it doesn't change that I like that I, mean, I don't fair. think they're that good. Well, I mean, we know we know they're not that good. Like they don't have many talented players, even the guys who are playing well right now. Like Travis Konechny is not going to have a hundred points. Like, and if he does, he won't be able to duplicate it in, a, in another season. Like. It, it's probable that Kevin Hayes isn't a point-per-game player because he never has been. Uh, we just know this. They don't have a number one defenseman. They don't have a number two defenseman. Uh, so it's, they just, we know their talent level, but there are times in hockey where, like, the sum of the parts, et cetera, you know, all that sure. bullshit. And, and, and John uh, it's, it's the best it's, part about this going yeah. John Tortorella being this X factor, we, I mean, our biggest fear coming into the season was that, yeah, they're fucking horrible and he's going to coach them to mediocre. So if they're mediocre, he can coach them to somewhat above well, average. Like if we just raise that yeah, expectation I, I, a little bit. I guess bit. my point is that what is like, what is happening right now is our biggest fear. They are still bad. Yeah. He is coaching them well, to be mediocre. That is actually what is happening. Our biggest fear is thirteenth. Like if they're in the playoffs, that's, and that's like then they're in the I playoffs. Think is coming. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I mean, right now they're a point up on Tampa, Florida, and the Rangers. Chances are those teams are considerably better than the Flyers, and that mo- that moves that moves the Flyers from the first wild card to the second team out. You know, it's it's likely that this won't continue. I mean, they're. Two points up. Washington is what second to last in the con- third. Oh no! Wow, this conference sucks. Maybe the East is just horrible. The East is it's, so. I bad. mean, it's early. Yeah, you know, last year early things are going to shake out. I'm just saying. Yes, things always shake out. They play 82 games. They have 70 left. It's just like you know, the Flyers did bank these wins. Pittsburgh didn't. Ottawa didn't. Washington didn't. Yeah, I, I don't know. To me. And I, I guess I'm kind of being the voice of, like, pessimism on the show, which is funny. Um, but anyway, um, <laughs> to me, the what I was looking for out of the season and what I continue to be looking for out of the season, because I, I guess I, I look at this as we are kind of seeing the worst-case scenario play out, and people are kind of happy about it because guess what? As I said earlier on the show, wins are fun, and, and that's what's happening. The Flyers are winning. They're not playing that well, but wins are fun, and— because of that people aren't angry that they're winning because wins are fun to me the most important part of this season and this is why i even though i am pessimistic with like honestly the best thing for this franchise probably would be to bottom out because then they could get an an adam fantilli they could get a connor bedard they could get a mitch Koff. but well right now that could still happen they could still fall off a cliff but it's not looking great at the moment but to me the biggest part about this season was let's root for some of these young and unproven guys to take steps forward and show that they should be and are good enough to be part of the next good Flyers team. And I think that to me has been the most positive development out of the season. Not that they're winning games, not that, you know, they're sitting in a wild card spot. It's the fact that Carter Hart very well might be establishing himself as a legitimately above average NHL goalie, if not more. It's the fact that Travis Konechny, again, looks like the guy he was in 2019-2020, and I wasn't sure if that guy was ever going to come back. It's the fact that Owen Tippett looks like a player, and that's cool. 
Like, he looks like a yeah. legitimate maybe second-line winger, and that's big. If you got that out of the Claude Giroux deal, that's huge. Wade Allison looks like a player and hasn't gotten hurt yet. Knock on wood. Joel Farabee looks pretty good. Like, I'm trying to—Noah Cates looks like he can be a useful cog. Like, they're finding guys, young guys, who look like they can be pieces. And that, to me, is the most important part of this season for them, is that they needed to prove that they are not bereft of young talent. And it doesn't look like they are. It looks like these guys that some people started to become out on, and then there are some guys that are just prospects that we didn't know who they were— it looks like they're establishing themselves as guys that you can look at and say, yeah, they can be part of the next legitimately good Flyers team. And that, to me, is the most exciting development so far. Not that they're winning games with a 40% expected goals, but it's that Owen Tippett's fooling goalies with his wrist shot. Carter Hart's stopping a lot of pucks. <clears throat> Wade Allison is being the wrecking ball, big red train that Ron Hextall promised he was going to be. Travis Konechny nah. doesn't look like a mess like he did the last years. Those, to me, are the real positive developments out of the season so far. Honestly, but, the, those. Go ahead, Kelly. I was just going to say that this might end up being, honestly, the best part of the Tortorella hire, as I really think that he's bringing these kids along in like a very, very strong way. And even if... And we the, won't talk about Morgan Frost. <laughs> I don't know. We, I really thought we were going to get there, Bill. It seemed, it seemed like it at the start of the Maybe season that we were on to something. Listen, well, yeah, that's. I mean, obviously, <laughs> we were kinda... <laughs> we were looking for it to go the other way, Charles. Yeah. We were thinking that maybe it was going to go the other way, but you know, the reason the wins are exciting is because I'll just narrow it down. Those three guys, Tippett, Allison, and Cates, if they can continue to progress. And establish themselves. Like, I'm looking at the roster last night. I'm like, man, this team has Hayes, Konechny, Lawton. I guess we can say Delorier, even though, you know, he's not actually, but sure. Like, what, four established NHLers on it right now? Like, if if uh, if Tippett, Cates, and uh, <clears throat> who was the, and who's the third? Allison. 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 Like, they give this team another level. That's the exciting part of the potential wins, is if those guys are legitimate, possibly top six forwards, maybe? Uh, middle six, but maybe second-line yeah, guys. Yeah, I Cates is, but then, I, I tip it maybe. I mean, Konechny certainly looks like, you know, that. Yeah, Konechny, yeah, we, we know, know what Konechny, Konechny is. is. Like, and then, I mean, guys like we're getting Robin good Sanheim are yeah. quality NHLers at the very least. You know, we, we know yeah, D'Angelo de- is too. I mean, we know that. The defense has established NHLers. It's just like none of them are very good. They're fine. Uh, <laughs> and we'll get, we'll get into Ristolainen in a, in a yeah, little bit. Fun. But like that's uh, the, the, the exciting part is that this team could potentially have another level and they've won games despite not showing it yet. Uh, that's what's exciting about the wins now is they could be a better team in a couple of weeks, in a couple of months. It's possible. Now, they could also just fall off a fucking cliff, because none of them are any could good. Do. It's very much in the realm of possibility. But these young guys that we've mentioned give this team a higher ceiling, or at least more of an unknown ceiling, than we thought coming in. The It's the unknown uh, that excites me. It's that it's not just a bunch of fourth-liners. 
that I thought it was nothing but Tanner Lazinski's. Yeah. And no offense to Tanner Lazinski, it's just like he's not moving yeah, the needle. Exactly. He's he he belongs. Want to see him get a shot? But if it's just nothing but fucking Jerry Mayhew, all right, who cares? <laughs> it looks like maybe it's more than that. I wonder how much different, and it's really we don't really need to talk about it because it's entirely speculation and and like a useless exercise. But I do wonder if we had a fully healthy Sean Couturier for this entire season so far. <laughs> Does it look different? Like, are the underlying numbers better? Like, how different is this team with the actual first line center? You know, significantly better. I mean, what, that's absolutely a fact. Yeah, theoretically. Yeah, that's. <laughs> this is actually. We talked about the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario for me might be. We have to admit, maybe Chuck Fletcher wasn't a fucking idiot. Like. Assuming what? if we're able to assume, not like crazy, <laughs> say we think Sean Couturier, like all signs look good for Sean Couturier, and then he just had an unforeseen setback. If you assume he's capable, the rest of the team isn't nearly as bad as we thought, well, right? I, I mean, look, and I feel like on this show, I'm probably the closest thing to a Chuck Fletcher defender. I don't think I am. It's just like I just I don't think he's a complete blithering idiot like everyone else does. Yeah, we're real down on yeah, him, Charles, aware. so it's not I'm hard. Aware. That said, <laughs> you know, if if the whole plan was to bank on Carter Hart stopping 94% of the shots, that's not a good plan. That's a bad plan. It's not a good plan. Hey, they won with Sandstrom, damn it! And, and the other point I'll make, too, is that, look, if you ever start feeling charitable towards Chuck Fletcher's plan... Take I a don't. look at the he guy the who food. he just gave a $26 million contract to who just got oh, scratched. Mm. I, I, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for wrist aligning yet, but it, <laughs> I will say, I will say, remember when Fletcher showed up and like Latera was gone and they buy out McDonald and all the shit that just validated you. Like you just felt like you're not like, I'm not insane. Like, I'm actually, I've been seeing what yes. I've been seeing this whole time, and finally someone is acknowledging yes. it. <laughs> That's kind of what Ristolainen feels. And I'm not nearly as down on Ristolainen as, like, as most I, am, I mean, yes, at this point, not. I guess, I guess at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm out on him. I don't think, uh, yeah, it, this, the scratching is great. Honestly, yes. I fucking love it. So Because it makes me feel like a genius. Like, th- this guy can't play. Uh, all right. Something I was happy to see, and then we're going to get to a break and talk about some other stuff. In terms of this idea that they have another level, Charlie tweeted after he watched the Senators game, and he said it earlier. You know, this is the first time I legitimately watched them and thought like, oh, maybe they're not horrible or whatever the hell you said, Chuck. Uh, and then they came out and beat up pretty good on a Blues team. Now, the Blues had some runs where the Flyers were just stuck in their zone for longer than you'd like, but it's a 60-minute game. No one dominates 60 minutes. You hope to win more than the other team, and the Flyers definitely did that. Something I was really happy about, and part of this, as we mentioned, is the Blues are fucking horrible. Going into the third period, up 3-0, Blues are on a seven-game losing streak. They just played the Bruins the night before. Flyers are rested. I was thinking... Put this game away. You're the work ethic team. You're the conditioning team. The Blues are in disarray. This should be an easy one to put away. Five minutes in, Ryan Ryan O'Reilly makes it 3-1, and I was like, this game has fucking tie written all over it. Like, we're going to overtime 3-3. Not a doubt in my mind. 
And a minute 22 later, Lucas Sedlak scores. And the game basically ends there. Uh, the Blues are like, all right, fuck it. We lose again. Uh, and yeah, a lot of it is they're horrible. But that's just a little bit of that another level that I was looking for. Maybe there's a little something more to this team. This team last year, it goes to overtime. Like, not a doubt in my mind. And, like, it's well, easy, but, but, but this easy is, to say, oh, well, yeah, that. This but. is where the Tortorella impact comes in. Like, look, exactly. Tortorella can't magically turn this team into a play-driving machine. He can't. They're just not good enough. Yeah. But what he can do is, like, give the team the confidence and make the kind of in-game tweaks and, you know, line changes and whatever that allows them not to completely fall flat on their face and just be utterly embarrassing. Like, he's a good enough coach that he can work these guys to death and get them conditioned so they don't get tired. He's also a good enough coach where he can, you know, pump them up and press the right buttons so that they're not doing what the Blues did last night, which is just falling apart at the first sign of trouble. And and that's that's the immediate impact I think that Tortorella has had. We're like and he said it. He said it in multiple post-game presses that like, look, we're not playing that great, but I like the effort. I like the fact that we're, we're playing hard. And that's what John Tortorella does for teams. John Tortorella either gets a team playing hard or he basically completely short circuits because he's so angry that they're not playing hard. That <laughs> happened in Vancouver. The other teams he's been at, he's found a way to get his team to play hard one way or another. And immediately from the very first game of this year, he's gotten this Flyers team to play harder than they had since 2019-2020. Like, that's, that's a simple fact. And that's the immediate John Tortorella impact. Now, over the long term, we'll see what kind of impact John Tortorella can have in terms of making this team actually good. But in the short term, his immediate impact is that, look, either you're going to play hard or you ain't going to play. And guess what? Players have bought into that. They know that he is true to his word. That, hey, if you take a couple shifts off, you ain't going to play the rest of the game. And they believe that. And I think, if anything, you know what? Like, there's that whole Machiavellian thing. It's better to be loved than, it's better to be feared than loved. Well, right now, I think they fear John Tortorella. And I don't think that's a bad thing, considering the way these last few years have went. And, and like, he... Tortorella doesn't care about circumstance. Like, in no. the opener, he's uh, Owen Tippett goes down. They're already down to 11 forwards, and he's like, yeah, Hayden Hodgins can't fucking play. Sorry. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to go with 10. Like, they've gone with 11 and 7 at some points this year. Like, he doesn't care about circumstance. He's going to get you to play his way, or you won't get out there. And honestly, great. Fucking it is awesome. Good. This team does need a kick in the ass. Like, you know, Elaine Vigneault took a lot of flack. This team played well for him for one year, and then straight up gave up on him. Whose fault that is, whatever, they did just kind of give up on him. And who's maybe that happens with Tortorella next year. It's happened in the past uh, with him. But he's got the track record of kind of getting that done. And honestly, I give him more leash than any of these players because they've never won jack yeah. shit. Well, one thing that was fascinating to me it was an answer that Noah Cates gave last night after the game. And what he basically said, and this, it, it very much hints that, like, John Tortorella came in and immediately just scared the shit out of everyone, and now is starting to be like, <laughs> all right, like, you know, you guys, you guys paid attention to my, like, my, my, my fear message. Now I'm going to let you mm -hmm. open up a little bit. But he basically said, this was the quote, it was, they're telling us to make plays, find the middle of the ice, not just bang it around the boards. 
I think the first 10 or so games were a little, oh, coach wants it out, coach wants it out, no turnovers, but now we're making plays. So it's more like Tortorella came in and was basically just like, if you fuck up, you are never going to see yeah. this fucking ice ever again. I swear to fucking God. So the first 10 games, so they're like, oh, my God. If I if I turn the puck over at the blue line, if I try to make too, too cute of a play, I am never going to play another game for this team. And they believed it. And because of that, like, yeah, it looked ugly, but at least they weren't making the glaring mistakes that were, that were mm-hmm. all happening all last year. Now, after and- 10 games of doing that, Tortorella's like, well, you know, you guys have maybe earned the right to try to do some things. Not all the well, things, it was, but some things. We talked about with Vigneault so much, like the uh, like the bank accounts. Like, you have to make some deposits before you make some withdrawals. And this team was so in the red that they had to prove they could change fucking yes, lines exactly. before, you're allowed to, <laughs> before you're allowed to toe drag. Like, yeah, you can toe drag when you don't get too many men on the ice or you don't leave the goalie out on a four-on-fucking-one when we're trying to change lines. Like, that's where this team was. So they had to make some deposits. And now that they have... They're going to open it up a little bit. We saw what happened last night. They score five goals. Big shout out, by the way, to Owen Tippett, who I had to score, who I had to get two and a half, over two and a half shots, and the Flyers uh, game over six. He pushes the total and on his third shot cashes the goal. Way to go, Owen Tippett. Love that Just, for uh, you. Speaking about making deposits, way to go, guy. Uh, all right. We are going to, uh, we're going to take a little break and on the other side, I guess I wanted to lead it off with reverse, reverse retros, but we've put Ristolainen off long enough. He's been such a star of this show for you know the entire time he's been here. We might as well lead off the uh, after the break with him. So hang tight through the ad and then uh, Risto. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hidden. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right. Welcome back, fam. Let's get into it. Uh, I guess we Lots. just, I just, I got to just throw it to Charlie on this. <laughs> Thank like, you, Bill. Like... <laughs> The guy signs a five-year contract in the offseason, and he gets benched ten games into the year? Like, this doesn't bode well for the next five years. Listen, I'm not Charlie, but before he starts with the, you know, important information, I would just like to say, seems bad. It's not great. You know what it reminded me of, and not as glaring, because... Like, obviously, a one-game benching isn't necessarily the end of the world. It did remind me of 
and I know I bring up this comparison a lot because you know what? It's a justified comparison. It reminds me of when they sent Andrew McDonald down a year, like what, a year into his contract. Like they, they clear, they realize on some level, like, Oh shit, we fucked this one up. And this is a little bit different because I still think that like the front office people think that Rissa Lyon can be good. John Tortorella Mm -hmm. ain't impressed. And as Bill, as you said, there is an element of like, thank you. Because look, John Zuderella a couple weeks ago, like straight up called a lot of analytics trash. Like this isn't this isn't some new school Sheldon Keefe type coach who's like, nah, this guy ain't good. This is John Tortorella, who is like the hero of all the old school people who has come in mm-hmm. and watched Rasmus Rissalainen play for four games and is like, yo, this dude ain't very good. <laughs> it is valid. Like, this it is, is the really guy. Valid. This is the guy who, when he was shown the highlight of Trevor Zegras, said, I miss the physical element of the game. That was his reaction his... to the fucking highlight of the year last year. I miss when people used to get punched in the mouth for doing <laughs> shit like that. That miss... was, that's this guy. His whole thing was, we're going to be tough to play against. And the entire reason we heard that we needed Rasmus Ristolainen is because other teams are scared of him. And John Tortorella, the tough to play against guy, is like, well, he's not hes not very hard to play against. So. Well, I mean, when, <laughs> when they got him to be tough to play against and then had to go out and give four years to a straight up fucking fighter, hmm. maybe, it, maybe that should have been a Curious. sign. You know? <laughs> it's maybe. too late at that point. <laughs> Maybe having to carry McEwen, Sealer, and Delorier on top of Ristolainen means he's not that tough to play against. And also the fact that he's never been on a good fucking team. He's never once been on a team that you're like, well, they're hard to play against. Yeah. Wait till you see playoff Risto. Well, my my favorite thing. <laughs> we might. Wait till you see playoff Risto. My favorite thing about the last uh, last couple days covering this team, it's like. Either either John Tortorella occasionally reads my Twitter feed, or we're just completely on the same page about <laughs> Rasmus Ristolainen. Both possibilities make me smile because on November seventh, I tweeted about Risto, and I tried not to like gloat because like I don't want to dance on this guy's grave. You, sh- you should he got gloat scratched though. Once. He they, Tortorella might fall in love with this guy later. But what I said on Twitter was. I do suspect something about Ristolainen that has and will frustrate Tortorella is his inability to kill plays. Tortorella, from the start of the year, has said, I want guys killing plays. For all of Ristolainen's physicality, he doesn't really kill many plays. Like, his hits don't usually force changes of possession. He just hits a guy, it's loud, everyone cheers, and then the other team has the puck in the offensive zone for another 20 seconds afterwards. Well, yesterday... After morning skate, John Tortorella gave me this quote. It wasn't even to me. It was to someone else, and he, he brought this quote up basically on its own, and it was, I'm not looking for goals, points from Ristolainen. I just want him to be sound defensively. One of the biggest things he brings is physical play, but I want to see him stop plays. It's nice to get a hit in, but I want to see the play stopped. That is exactly the point I made, and it's that, like, just hitting a guy doesn't make you hard to play against. Yeah, it might make the players after the game be like, man, I don't really like playing against that guy, Ristolainen, because I come away with bruises. That's true. I'm sure that's true. But it, a guy isn't hard to play against if you spend 60% of the time he's on the ice with the puck in the offensive zone, which you do against Ristolainen because he's not hard to play against. He's easy to play against because you always have the puck when he's on the ice. And it's it's incredibly validating to see John Tortorella 
an admittingly old-school type guy who goes by the eye test, seeing what not just the stats tell me, but what my eyes tell me about the way he plays, that this guy is not hard to play against because even his hits don't do what hits are supposed to do, which is separate the guy from the puck and send your team going the other way because you force a possession change. They don't do that, and Tortorella has actually seen past the the loud hit and the like, ooh, let's all cheer because that guy fell down. He's seeing past that and being like, no, what's the point of a hit if it doesn't get us the goddamn puck? I mean, the thing that's been wild with Risto this whole time and why it's so weird to me that people continue to defend him as a player is that he's eye test bad. Like he's not stats bad. He's eye test bad. If you're watching a Flyers game as someone like me who doesn't, do stats because it makes my brain hurt he doesn't look good like there are players that have shitty stats on this team that look good playing like for example zach McEwen last year shitty numbers always looked like he was doing something just because of the way he played russell just looks like shit and he fucks up constantly and yeah. so it's it's very weird to me. And one of the things I was wondering, and Charlie, you might, I don't know if you, this is something you can answer, because it, it, a thought that I had when he was only scratched the one game is, do you think it's possible that the front office gave a little ring to Torres and was like, hey, so let's not, let's not scratch this guy for more than one game? Do I think it's possible? Yeah, because Tortorella does talk to Chuck Fletcher. And, and look, here's the right. thing. When you've got a guy on a $5.1 million contract, there's, there's a great deal of incentive for the team and the coaching staff to figure out how to get more out of him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's not even necessarily yeah. that Fletcher's like, hey, you can't scratch this guy because it makes me look bad, even though it does. It really, really does. And that's kind of funny. But it's also the fact that, like, Look, we got to pay this guy for another five years. So you better figure out what to do with him because he ain't going anywhere. And also, the problem of depth. Yeah. In that game, they had Sealer and Zamula in the lineup. Now, I like what Zamula could ultimately be, but uh, not exactly two established NHLers there. Zamula played 927 against the. against Ottawa, you really don't want that, you know? That's that's Keith Yandel. Like, okay, we have a guy that we don't want to put out there for more than a few minutes at a time. Uh, that's that's. And it. to be clear, Not so I, as critical as I am of Rasmus Ristolainen, I think Rasmus Ristolainen would be a perfectly fine third-pair defenseman in the NHL. I think I don't he disagree. would be fine in that role, and he could provide that physical presence that teams want. It's just that for his entire career, front office people and coaches have convinced themselves that because he looks like he should be a first-pair defenseman, that that's what he is. Even last year, the Flyers acknowledged he wasn't a first-pair defenseman, but like, yeah, but he's a second-pair defenseman. He's de- he's not a first-pair defenseman. He's definitely a second-pair defenseman. Definitely. No. No, he ain't that either. He's a third-pair guy. And look, like— the fact of the matter is, he's got the contract. Like, he's got the money. He's, that, that's his cap hit. You gave it to him. So, if you're going to overpay him, you might as well use him in the role he's best served for, which is third pair. Like, yeah, it's going to be a bad contract. It was a bad contract the second it was signed. Mm-hmm. So, you might as well put him in a role that he can actually potentially do, like, provide some type of positive value in. 
How? How did they watch him last year and come to the conclusion we need to give him $30 million? Unbelievable. It was 25. It was... Right, yeah. It's not <laughs> yeah, six years. Come it's on, five it years. Yep, yep, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was only 25. My bad. Um, I, I, imagine. Like, here's the thing. Like, the coach says, I'm not even looking for goals and points. I need him to be sound defensively. He's horrible defensively. I so wish bad. he would just skate with the puck more. I wish he would just <laughs> take the puck on his stick and fucking skate with it and see what happens. Like, maybe guys will just bounce off of him like a freight train. Like, uh, he's so bad in the defensive zone, it's unfucking believable uh, The other night when Sanheim got walked around, yeah, Sanheim definitely, you know, needs to not let bad that point. happen. Absolutely a bad point. Uh, yeah, but... At a certain point, Ristolainen's standing there and just covers his man and does nothing to prevent what... Like, okay, you want to take away the pass option? Well, this guy's 1-0 with your goalie now and you're standing in front of the fucking net. Maybe do something with your six foot seven frame. I don't know. Just a thought. He's so bad defensively. He can skate. He can shoot. I want to see more of that because he can't fucking play defense. No, and he never he never has been good defensively. So, like, what? How are we going to fix that now? Ten years in to his NHL career, yeah, he's just like tired. Shane Gossespierre as a forward, wired Rasmus Ristolainen as a forward. <laughs> hey, I still maybe you know, he's still the number my one center we've been looking of for. Delorier, Ristolainen, and McEwen. <laughs> Give me that one game, please. Oh my god, <laughs> the league wouldn't allow it. They'd be like, no, you can't do this shit. No. That's like Match such him up a, with McDavid for a couple of shifts. See what happens. That's such a Bill Matz thing to want to happen. It's hilarious to me that that's Charlie's thing. I, I just think season. it'd be pure chaos and just, I mean, it'd be awful. It sure but would. But it'd be real funny. It's the same reason why I was <laughs> like, like, yeah, let Jackson Cates on the team. Do I think Jackson Cates is an NHL be, player? No. I think he had a good camp. I don't think he's an NHL quality player. But hey, it's cool to have two brothers on a team. So sure, why not? They'd be minus four, but... They might injure somebody, and it would be entertaining. It would be entertaining. It would absolutely be entertaining. So one thing I do want to bring up here, because this is something, it, it's it's an interesting thing, because it, it kind of goes off the wrist of line and scratching. How, this is not the first time this season where there has been a guy that Chuck Fletcher and his staff really likes. And John Tortorell is just like, no, this guy stinks. Now, I don't think that there's like, I don't think that like Fletcher and Tortorella are like at each other's throats. I don't think there's like tension in the room and all that other stuff. But like, we're kind of seeing like where the power lies right now, right? And I think in part, like Fletcher may have voluntarily ceded some of that power to Tortorella. But like, we're seeing that like, hey, if... Chuck Fletcher says Hayden Hodgson's good. And John Tortorella sells and says, no, he ain't. John Tortorella's winning. Which is as a very should. good thing. Yes, exactly. Like, as he should. Fletcher doesn't get another coach. Yeah, like, he yeah, can't. Exactly. He can't get another coach. That's kind of where I'm going. And he's never put together, a, like, a, a capable fucking team. Like, this team played well under Chuck Fletcher from January to the middle of March in 2020. That's it. Uh, It's not like he's got some track record of success. He's never been to a conference final in his decade plus as a general manager in this league. He's not very good at his job. 
John Tortorella, yeah, lack of playoff success recently, but everybody in hockey respects John Tortorella as one of the best coaches. Like, this is universal. He should have the power. Absolutely. And for the record, I'm going to to put in the tweet for this episode that Charlie O'Connor from theathletic.com says that there's tension in the room between John Tortorella and we can edit, Chuck Fletcher. We can edit it together. I'm not saying that there's, yeah, take that out. You know how there's, like when you make a quote, like you put an ellipsis in there to like yeah. make it say what you want. I'm going to do that. That way we get a lot of uh, clicks because people love to it's click just, on things that say it's that. It's interesting to me that like <laughs> guys that he's pushed and maybe expressed some dissatisfaction about like these are the guys that Chuck Fletcher gave big deals. Rasmus Ristolainen, like Kevin Hayes, even Travis Sanai, who we just gave a contract to. Torrell's <laughs> like, yeah, he's been inconsistent, needs to be a lot better. Like, you know, it, there is an element here of like, Chuck does something and Torts is like, like with his actions, he's not obviously coming out and saying this, but he's kind of like, should you really have done that? Is this guy really as good I- as you thought he was? I choose to believe that I mean, John Tortorella has the same opinion of Chuck Fletcher that we do. He just can't say it out loud. <laughs> I, I'll i tell you, my biggest takeaway from the show thus far is that Charlie and John Tortorella are going to end up being best friends. That's, one hundo. <laughs> they are going to hang out when it's all when 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 he hangs him up. It's going to be Charlie in the bar with John Tortorella. <laughs> I would love to knock down a few with John Tortorella. That'd be fun. Who wouldn't? Are you kidding? I, I, John Torrell right, would be so, an awesome uh, like drinking buddy, I'm sure. Like, are you kidding me? You I mean, you might get into a couple fights, but like that's part of the appeal. <laughs> yeah, you just have another beer after the fight. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. Like, the fights don't last. Right, so you mentioned Hayes and how it's kind of been uh, not a rocky relationship, but he's had some things to say about Hayes. He benched him in TK one game, uh, which I thought was awesome. But looking at these two, Travis Konechny leads the team with five goals and 14 points. Uh, Kevin Hayes leads uh, leads the team with 10 assists. He's got 12 points in 12 games. They've been the catalyst for this offense, and you know they need to be. Travis Konechny's, other than Carter Hart, the best player on this yeah. team. Yeah. Um, Kevin Hayes... The most experienced, most decorated guy, I he's guess. The only uh, he's the highest paid center at this they point. have. Yeah, he's the only. Yes, he is the only <laughs> center. Th- oh lord. Oh, <laughs> uh, is that yeah, good? He is. Yeah. Like I, I, I not, yeah, like, that's I not guess... an exaggeration. Like Morgan Frost might not be an NHL yeah. player. Scott Lawton's better no, on the wing. Noah Cates is better on the wing. Like he legitimately is their only <laughs> yeah. clear cut NHL center at the moment. Yes, it's true. Yeah, I just uh, never thought of it. Yeah, I was, we were talking about it a little, just like, yeah, Case isn't exactly playing his best position. Scott Lawton, we know, like, he's improved as a center, but is more of a, like, he's a better winger. Like, they don't, yeah, they they don't have another center. What a fucking team. (laughs) Look, John Tortorella, just give Tortorella the Adams now. Like, just name it the Tortorella. If he can't win it, name it after The Flyers, in my mind, they don't even have to make the playoffs for Tortorella to be (laughs) a nominee. Like, if they... He should be the the lock at this point. If they're a bubble team that finishes with 90 points and they miss the playoffs by five or six, I'd vote for him number one for for the Adams. Because this team is not talented. Especially without Sean Gattari. They They don't have a center! (laughs) 
their number two center who might be outmatched as a number two center is their number one, and he's the only one. (laughs) (laughs) He's not the number one center. He's just the center. (laughs) He's like fucking Joel Embiid. Like, yeah, we have a center. That's it. <laughs> the other guy plays six minutes when a B needs some fucking Gatorade. Like that's that's what this goddamn team has come to. But to TK and Hayes' credit, you know they took that benching, and overall they've been really good. Uh, Travis Konechny, is this the best sign that TK, who's their he's their best player other than Carter Hart? Actually looks like it. He's producing. He's he's doing the things we want from TK. Like, is that the best sign we've seen of this season so far? That's pretty good. It's probably the second best sign after Carter Hart, in, in truth. After but, Hart. Yeah. No, the, the, the one thing I, I noted on in my article last night or this morning on the game about Travis Konechny is that what's really encouraging about Travis Konechny's play so far is that, like, so he has five goals in 12 games. That is a 34 goal pace. And he's not doing that via an unsustainable way. He has 38 shots on goal in 12 games. That's over three shots a game. So we're talking about like, you know, on pace for like 250 shots on goal. And his shooting percentage is 13%. He's not doing this by scoring on 20% of his shots, something that he can't continue. He could score on 13% of his shots. He's done it before three times in his career. And he's shooting enough that, like, he can score 30 goals. And if Travis Konechny, like, look, Travis Konechny in 2019-2020 was scoring a ton of points and was driving play, and it was like, oh, shit, we might have a first-line winger, borderline star player on our hands. Travis Konechny isn't really driving play right now, but he's scoring. And now you're in a position where maybe, I don't think Travis Konechny has the ceiling anymore of, like a legitimate borderline star type player. I don't think he has that ceiling. However, if he can be a first line winger, if you give him a center who can drive a play like a Sean Gatourier, suddenly Travis Konechny could be a better player than we thought two, you know, last year, two years ago. Suddenly he's not just, you know, the fifth or sixth best forward on a good team. Maybe he could be the third best forward on a good team. Now, that's still not this team because he's the best forward on this team, but <laughs> it means you have to get fewer players better than Travis Konechny, and that does bode well for the future. It's just like, it's still, how the fuck do they get that thing they need? Like, uh, Yeah, it's... I hate that it comes back to that, but since you bring it up, a player like Sean Couturier. Guess who's not going to be a player like Sean Couturier? Sean Couturier. No, nope. uh, that's a concern. Unless it's a I'm, real concern. Like uh, it's. I mean, it's. It should be the default guess of everybody. Yeah, maybe he comes back and he's Selkie Couturier for a few more years. Surprises everybody. But at this point, like that is a long shot in my mind. Uh, I doubt he plays at all this year. Um, and after you miss that kind of time with a back injury, how can anyone really be optimistic? But it's just fuck. Now that we think they have some pieces, it's even more imperative that they get those high end players, and they have absolutely no way of getting. Which is like this it, is why I go back to coming my into the year. It was like, well, 
Yeah. Well, coming into the year, it was like, well, they have no one anyway. Like, they'd get a superstar and what? So they'd be a bubble playoff. It would be Giroux all over again. Like, you'd have a Giroux and a Voracek and nobody else. And they'd be, you know, the second wild card and losing six every year. But now, maybe they have some pieces and absolutely no way to get them over the top. And that is very frustrating. But I am happy what we've seen out of Hayes and TK. And it would be, someone made the comparison to Hayes last night of uh, that year with Yager. And I'm not, you know, obviously Yager, one of the best players of all time. Kevin Hayes is not that. But Hayes doesn't look, and he was never fast, but he does no. not look like the guy we had year one here. Uh, you know, the shorthanded goals, the breakaways. Well, we, we all talked about his speed, but suddenly there'd be a loose puck in the neutral zone and he'd have three steps on the defenseman. So he must've had more speed than we were giving him credit for. He doesn't, he doesn't look like that guy, but he does look like a guy who can control the puck, dish great passes, make better decisions. And that to me bodes well for the rest of his contract, if he can be this, and he's not like, the rest of the game doesn't deteriorate, I think that's a good sign, for the rest of his contract at least. He doesn't look cooked, which is a great yeah. sign, because there was right. a serious concern he yeah, last year, that this guy was just cooked. He doesn't look cooked, he looks like a good NHL player again, which, I mean... As I as I said in the offseason, the more I looked into how he played, his numbers, his performance after coming back from when his infection was resolved, it gave me confidence that he that he wasn't cooked. And I don't think he's cooked. I don't think he's point per game good, but I don't think he's cooked. And that's huge because they have enough contracts that are utterly terrifying. If Kevin Hayes is just a mild overpay and not a $2 million a year player getting paid 7.14. That's, that's big because he's on the books for quite a few more years. Wouldn't it be wild if Chuck Fletcher got us out of this mess? Like, wouldn't that's it just be wild. hilarious? <laughs> like in, if in the off season, like JVR comes off the books and he's got some cap room and like he somehow gets Arizona to take Risto or I don't know, like it, it would just be hilarious to me. Cause I do feel like, like if, if you were playing NHL, um, 22 or whatever, like you could, you could GM your way out of this particular mess, but you know, well, I always turn off the salary cap. So yeah, that's the, that's the easiest way. Uh, I have a couple more things I want to get to before we wrap this up. So I want to get to them fast. Uh, so right now it looks like Cam Atkinson is still, at least according to uh cap friendly on the active roster, they have Coots and Ellis, JVR, Brown on, you know, whatever versions of IR. But is there any sort of update on uh, on Atkinson? Do we have any idea? They just don't need to put him on long-term IR. Look, he's a long ways away, I think, even if he were to come okay. back That's what I and start skating with the team, yeah. which, to be clear, he ain't doing that. He's in no way, shape, or form in condition to play. Now, I've heard from a couple people. I have The, the team continues to be completely mum like no one is talking I've heard from a couple people that it's like could be like a neck thing 
these are people who like I tend to trust on these sort of things, but they're all like outside of Jesus the organization, Christ. a few steps removed. So it's not something I want to like report with concrete certainty. But like that makes sense to me because to me, with how nebulous they've been about his injury, there's re- we know it's upper body. That's the only thing they've told us is upper body. There's only three upper body injuries that make sense to me. The first is that he's concussed. That's possible. However, he would have had to have gotten concussed in workouts, in like scrimmages before camp. That strikes me as unlikely. It could be his back. We've seen that with Couturier. We've seen the nebulous nature of a back injury. That's possible. Or it could be a neck thing. I am guessing it's a neck thing. And those are nebulous too. You know, you, then you deal with like pinched nerves and, you know, worries about those sort of things. So like, I understand why something like that would have a nebulous timeline. I will say this. I mean, and maybe this is another Ellis thing where, like, this is what the player wants. But, like, this is a real bad look for the Flyers after the way the Ellis thing went down. That, like, you're trying to hide another injury to another key player and just sort of just trying to pretend, like, no, he's he's day-to-day, he's week-to-week, he's month-to-month, we don't know when he's going to play. Like, the fans deserve some transparency here, especially after the way the Ellis thing went down, because justifiably, there's not a lot of trust when it comes to injuries in the fan base when it, with the Flyers, and the Atkins thing is just playing right into that. That's, you know, I don't need to know what an injury is. Uh, that's not my business. I don't, well, I'm not a fucking doctor. Oh, he's got a torn ACL. All right, there's nothing I can do about that. But uh, I... We need as after the way the Ellis situation was handled, and he's just never going to play for the Flyers, whether he plays again at all, I doubt. Uh, but we should know. We should at least have some sort of expectation. Give us something on Atkinson, like he'll be back in January, or like you know we're we can't find him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Let us know something. Just so I don't need to know what's wrong. I just need some sort of idea. And also, now this kind of throws off the next question because it just comes down to JVR at this point. Because you can't move Katoria, you can't move Ellis, and it doesn't seem like you can move Atkinson either if he's just going to be one of these multi-layered, never going to play guys. Uh, but considering. Like, Bobby Brink set to come back at some point. You've got Bellows as an extra. Uh, you've got Forster and Likesell and Jackson Cates and uh, Elliot the Destroyer and Zade Wisdom, not to mention a bunch of D-men in the AHL. Uh, should Chuck Fletcher's top priority right now be finding a new home for JVR and Atkinson mm-hmm. if, like, in this hypothetical, he's not gone forever? I mean, like, he should absolutely just, be trying to move JVR, but he should have been trying to do that last year, too, yeah. and that didn't happen. I just, like, considering what we've seen out of Tippett, Allison, and Cates, and the amount of potential other opportunities there are for guys who might factor into the future, anybody who isn't going to be here when this team is good serves... No purpose whatsoever. Yeah, I, I don't totally yeah. agree with that. I mean, look, JVR is not part of the future. His contract expires at the end of the year. Should the Flyers be trying to trying to trade him? Yeah, but he's an expiring contract. Like he, It should be a no-brainer that he's getting moved at the deadline, regardless of how good or bad the Flyers are, because why the hell not? You'd be an idiot to re-sign him. Atkinson is interesting to me, because so, like, look. 
this injury obviously <laughs> changes the game because who the heck knows what's yeah. wrong with him and you know if he can come back and if he has any trade value when he comes back and whatnot. To me, Atkinson does serve a purpose if he can play because he's a culture type of guy. Like, there's a yeah. reason why Tortorella was so excited to have him. It's because, like, well, I'm trying to institute something here, and Atkinson's already bought in once. So this is going to be great. I'm going to have Atkinson to be that guy. Atkinson obviously hasn't played. They found the way to still buy into the Tortorella thing. But, like, if Atkinson could come back, I don't necessarily have a problem with him being around because I think he will foster the type of environment that John Tortorella is trying to build. And even if he's not going to be part of the next great Flyers team, he can help to build the environment that will allow that next great Flyers team to exist. So I'm not necessarily itching to get rid of Cam Atkinson. I understand the thought process of like, well, you got to find space for these kids. But look, Tyson Forrester ain't ready. Bobby Brink ain't ready. Elliot Danoye ain't ready. Like these guys are not ready yet. Let's have this conversation again next season if Cam Atkinson comes back healthy, is useful, has some sort of trade value, and multiple, you know, two or three of these guys who could potentially be top sixers are banging on the door because they're killing in the AHL. (laughs) Then let's have this conversation again. Right now, I see value in a healthy Cam Atkinson on on this team, if only because He's a torts guy who can help to create what John Tortorella is trying to create. And also, if he fully recovers, he's still yeah, pretty he's good. Player. He's all right. I mean, he's a 25-goal scorer, I think. Yeah, he goes through real long droughts. Yeah, he's a goal scorer. That's what they do. He's That's fine. He is a goal scorer. Yeah, he's fine. I mean, there's droughts, and then there's like 12, 14 games where you're not putting up any points. That's not great. But uh, I'm not itching to get rid of Atkinson. He does bring you that culture. And to what, something Charlie said earlier, Zach McEwen's on your third line right now. Uh, not great. <laughs> like, they need guys. Uh, just real fast, the reverse retros, what do we think? Yeah, I like them better in the, yeah. the preview video than I did in person, to be honest. The, the, they're, they're, there's a uh, little bit of yeah. like, newspaper black and white feel to them. I wish there yes. was more orange. Yes. There's no orange. There There's could no be orange. Any team's jersey. Any team. When I I didn't really like them when we saw them just like in the tweet. And I was kind of thinking, okay, that's been that way for like every New Jersey they've come out with for me. And then I end up ultimately liking them a little bit more once they're on the ice. I like these less. Less. Seeing yeah. them play. Like watching, like I said, I didn't watch the whole game, but I watched some highlights. And you could not tell that that was the Flyers at all. All right, that is all the time we have for you this week. So uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, you got to hit that subscribe button. Search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts, and boom, content, baby. You got Kelly's checking out the competitions. My post games fly purpley. Of, cor- of course, this BSH Radio, the flagship show, and maybe some more shit along the way. Episode 300 coming up. Be subscribed. Give us a uh, five-star review. All that shit. All right. For Kelly, for Charlie, my name's Bill Matz. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah! Who's gonna score hockey goals? Our team! No one does more hockey than our boys. The Flyers!
What is up, Astros fans? This is Jeff Balky and my partner, former Astro Jeff Blum from the Believe in Astros podcast to tell you baseball is back and we've got your world champion Houston Astros covered. Every week we go inside the clubhouse, break down the games, discuss the players and give you everything you need to know about the Houston Astros baseball organization with special guests and a few surprises all summer and into the postseason. So tune in to the Believe in Astros podcast. That's B-L-E-A-V on Apple spotify youtube and everywhere you get your podcasts go astros